So today's message, I want you to understand that I'm no way putting myself on a pedestal above any other preacher. I truly consider myself the least. But as we look at this passage, we want to think back of the previous passages and everything that's going on in the church of Corinth. Now, as you're turning there in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, 19th century preacher J.A. James, he once stated this, although the pulpit is intended to be a pedestal for the cross, even the cross itself sometimes is sometimes used as a mere pedestal for the preacher's fame. We may roll the thunders of eloquence. We may scatter the flowers of poetry. We may diffuse the light of science. We may enforce the precepts of morality from the pulpit. But if we don't make Christ the great subject of our preaching, we have forgotten our errand and shall do no good. Satan trembles at nothing but the cross. And at this, he does tremble. He went on to say, and if we are to destroy his power, Satan's power, and to extend that holy and benevolent kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, it must be by means of the cross. Folks, I don't care who it is. I don't care how big the congregation is. If the cross is not preached, it's not sound preaching. Doesn't matter how many millions of books they sell. Doesn't matter how big the cathedral may be. If the cross of Jesus Christ is not preached, it's not sound preaching. When we started this series here in Corinth, what we realized is there was fighting and division going on in this city. Paul noticed, we we noticed that Paul appealed to the believers and he addressed this issue of, of personal preference that was going on in the city of Corinth, or at least in the church in Corinth. Paul shares that this issue of personal preference was causing division among the church and their division was affecting the message of the cross. And last week, what we saw was their division was affecting the mindset of Christians. So today, as we look in this chapter and we look in these first five verses, what we'll find is that Paul begins to teach the Corinthian believers how to solve their problem. And the Bible tells us this in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. It says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is God's 
holy word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction. We thank you, God, that you, the one who spoke this world into existence, the one who separated by your voice the sea from the land, night from day, the one who out of the dust of the ground you carved man into your, in your image, in your likeness. The one through the portals of time when man thought that he had all wisdom enough to get to you that you confounded their language and scattered them all over the land. The same God who called for himself a people out of a heathen nation. The same God who through the portals of time saw our need for a savior when the blood of bulls and goats and birds would no longer suffice that you gave your only begotten son to be the sacrifice for all sin. Oh God, we thank you for your holy word. And God, we pray that you would take the broken words of this servant, fixed them, formed them, fashioned them in the hearts of those who are listening. And God, we'll praise you for what you do in our lives. God, if there's one with us today that don't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, who has not bowed down and called out to him, pleading for forgiveness of their sin, we pray that today you would sit beside them through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them and share with them of your love and your grace and your mercy. God, plead with them to call upon the name of the Lord. For we know if they do, you're just and faithful to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Now, God, you have your way. And we'll praise you for what you accomplish. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. We, we know it's no secret over the past three messages and now coming into this one, we, this one, we know that the church in Corinth, it is deeply divided. The two issues dividing the dispute at this point of Paul's address is that of... Which preacher should fill the pulpit? Or what kind of preacher should fill the pulpit? This church had had two, two former preachers come in and spend time with them. And those preachers were great men of God. However, they were vastly different in their style of preaching. So the real question become: did they really know what preaching really was. And before we can begin to solve their difference, we would need to grab hold of what God actually intended preaching to be. Because one way to begin to solve their issue when it comes to preaching is to understand what sound preaching actually is. So if that question is asked us today, do we really know what sound preaching is? We would, I would venture to say that many of us would declare that that question is subjective. That it just depends on the person. 
I want to assure you that's the wrong answer. Sound preaching is not subjective. What is subjective is the style of preaching that we like. What is subjective is the style of preaching that we um, respond to. But what is not subjective is what sound preaching really is. Preaching comes in many different forms. So our preference and style, while it may be uh, subjective, we need to be very clear that sound preaching actually is. There are three things, three different types of preaching I'm just going to throw out. There are many types, but I'm going to throw out three, these three types to you. For one, there is this topical preaching. This topical preaching usually, especially in our area, is the where preachers may read a verse or a passage of scripture and they will share a thought that come to them based upon reading and meditating on that passage of scripture and they will often go start preaching without expounding on the text and truly rarely even touching the text that they read. Some people might call that airplane preaching where it just takes off and goes but it really has no destination actually there's another type of preaching that's out there in our communities which is this textual preaching this is where a preacher will preach a theme he'll come up with a actual theme and through a particular book or a series of books or series of passages he may preach four to eight weeks upon that theme and not really uh, though he may expound the text expounding the text isn't the object the object is that through the text that they expound on the subject matter And then there's expository preaching, which goes on much in our community. Expository preaching is that preaching that focuses on the meaning of the passage by putting the passage in its proper context. This is often done by verse by verse preaching or it's done through preaching of books or even sections of books. When, When any of these three styles are done well they can be pleasing to listen to I'm not knocking either style but when they're done well they can be very pleasing to listen to some can be motivating some can be can be just fun just to sit there and hear how the preacher goes about sharing this message and we but we would all prefer one style or another if you would ask me I like expository preaching. You get a preacher who preaches expository messages. It just sets my mind right there in the text. I don't have a creative enough mind to be able to scatter all throughout the Bible. If I can focus on one text, then my mind is simple enough that it'll stay right there. And the blessing of that is I get taught the Bible. And I get taught the Bible in a way to where I can apply the truths of the scripture in my life. And when I apply the truths of scripture in my life, then my life becomes more pleasing to God. That's my preference. It may not be yours. And if it is, you ain't been pleased with me for, for the last 16 years. That's okay. But that's just my preference. But whatever we preach, Paul here is wanting them to understand That whatever the style of preaching is, it must be sound preaching. 
So Paul begins to share here in this passage a couple of things that that really should trigger our our minds and our hearts. And that is that sound preaching is never to be used as an opportunity to showcase a skill set. Oh, we can make that an issue from time to time. We can, we as preachers can make that mistake to where we take the platform of preaching and try to show off the skill set that we have. And this may have been taking place there in Corinth. Paul testifies here in this passage that he did not come to show off his skill set. He did not come to, to put on display his superior intellect to these Corinthian believers. In verse 1, he states that he did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom. It, it, could he have done that? Oh yes, Paul could have done that. But of course, Paul Paul could have could have set himself above anyone else in his field. Paul, if we would really know the truth about him, he was either borderline or in that day he would be considered a genius. Paul was a smart man. He was head and shoulders above many other men, not in statue, but in intelligence. Paul was a man according to Acts 22 and and 3. He sat at the feet of the greatest teacher of his day, Gamaliel. According to Galatians 1 and 14, Paul advanced in Judaism beyond those who studied along with him. In other words, he was at the very top of his class. Paul was so intelligent that he not only spoke Greek and Aramaic, uh, he not only spoke those languages which was prevalent in that day, but he also spoke Hebrew for Acts 21 and 40 says so when he had given them permission Paul stood on the stairs and he motioned with his hand to the people and when there was a great silence he spoke to them in the Hebrew language it's a language that at that time was was practically dead it was a language that wasn't used and Paul was able to speak this Hebrew language I want us to understand folks there was no doubt that Paul could could have spoken with the intent of putting himself on display. Uh, he could have showed his superior intellect. And even according to Paul, if we think about Paul, according to him and his appearance, Paul was somewhat lacking. The, the, many say that Paul was a short man, a bald man. He was a man in 2 Corinthians 10 and 10. It, he describes himself as being weak in the body. In Galatians 6 and 17, Paul was suffering physically. With this in mind, it would make sense to me. I don't know about you, but it makes sense to me that Paul would use the platform of preaching as an opportunity to make up for some of these maybe deficiencies that he might have called or that other people might have called. You know, churches want preachers that make the church look good. Otherwise, in the way that they speak and or the way that they carry themselves. Some churches, they want a preacher whose wife is able to play the piano and and she can, she's dressed pr- uh, the, exactly the way she's supposed to. She sits on the front row and, and she's an example to everyone. Boy, you'd have been missing out if you were expecting that from my wife, wouldn't you? She's most uncomfortable on the front row. But if you'll watch her, if you'll pay attention to her, she'll be an example to you on how to enjoy this life. She's not going to play the piano. I'm not going to let her sing before you again. And and so, so we understand all of those things. But she'll love your children. (laughs) 
as well as anybody in this world could ever love your children. She'll be as good to them as you'd want them to want anyone to be to your children. She's a child at heart and these children understand her better than we can. It's because they're about on the same level, but that's okay. You know, Paul, he could have used his platform as a time to impress the people. When you're not very much to look at in your own mind. I think everyone's beautiful in their own way. But in your own mind, when you don't think very highly of yourself, you know what we'll do? We'll find the one thing that we're really good at and we'll stress that to the best of our ability just so we'll feel good about ourselves. But you know, Paul was a man who was confident in who he was in the Lord. And because he was confident in who he was in the Lord, he didn't have to put himself on display. He didn't have to showcase his gifts and skills. He didn't have to, he didn't have to make up for anything else. He was just confident that God had saved him and he was on his way to heaven. He was a child of God and nobody could ever change that. And I want to tell you today, I don't know what the devil was whispering in your ear, but if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a child of the King. You're an heir to his throne. You have more than you could ever ask for. And if you look at yourself in the eyes that God looks at you, you would see yourself as precious. You would see yourself as lovely. You would see yourself as holy. You would see yourself in the way that God wants you to see yourself. And if you don't know him, he desires for you to get to know him so you can see about you who you are in him. Here, Paul He had this understanding of who he was, which helped him to understand that sound preaching, what it's not about. For I I can share some things, some more things about biblical preaching. You mind if I do? Of what sound preaching is not. Sound preaching is not taking the opportunity to use preaching to vent or unload frustration. Sound preaching is not taking the opportunity to use preaching for personal or political agendas. Sound preaching, somebody should have shouted amen. Sound preaching is not taking the opportunity to preach in such a way that it causes division. This is not, this is why pastors must be careful who they bring into their pulpits. If we are not careful, revival services will become nothing but competitions between the evangelists. One will stir the congregation. The next one doesn't stir the congregation. Not because of his style of preaching, but because of the message God had for the people. And we won't see that. And we'll find ourselves, oh man, if he stirred the people, I've got to stir the people or I'll never get invited back. Well, I want to tell you a little secret. And for those listening on Facebook or YouTube, I want you to hear this. If I realize or I sense or God declares to me that this is a competition, between you and another preacher here in this pulpit, chances are you won't get invited back no matter how you stir the people because this is not the platform. This is not the platform for our own personal agendas. Instead, sound preaching. Paul shares here. It's about declaring the testimony of God. 
The word testimony, it speaks of the mystery or the revelation of God. So because of this truth, Paul determined that he didn't know anything else to preach but the testimony of God. So he preached only Christ and him crucified. Oh, Jesus Christ is the testimony of God. He's the revelation of God, the man on earth. When we read that Jesus was the was born of a virgin, when we read that he was without sin, when we read that he was made, that he made the lame to walk, the dumb to talk, he, when he made the, the dead to rise again, when we read that, that he, that they, that they found no fault in him, but still they ridiculed him. They mocked him. They spat upon him. When we read that they placed the crown of thorns on his head and, and made him carry his cross up Galgotha's hill. When we read that though with all of this, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he said not a word. When we read that he cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them for what? For they know not what they do. When we read that he was nailed to a cross, suspended between heaven and earth. When we read that he gave his life and said it is finished when we read that on the third day he arose from the grave conquered death hell and the grave we are hearing the testimony of God we're hearing the testimony of Jesus Christ the revelation of God he was God on earth revealed to man and man beheld him in all his glory and still would not receive him. Sound preaching is nothing more than the revelation of God. And we can't forget that. When we're listening to messages, whether it's on television, whether it's in pulpits, whether it's on the radio. If you don't hear the revelation of Christ, it's no more than a motivational speech. It's no more than a rant. From a man who's frustrated. It's no more than, than someone just wanting to show off their skill set. But when it declares the revelation of God, then that's sound preaching. <laughs> sound preaching not only reveals the revelation of Christ, but sound preaching comes through submission of the Spirit or submission to the Spirit. When Paul. While he was in Corinth, I imagine, or when he arrived in Corinth, I imagine Paul was feeling that the ministry had just beat him down somewhat. There are some things that took place prior to Paul getting there that I found very interesting as I'm looking at this passage. You know, in Acts 16 and 17, it tells us a little bit of the history of Paul going to Corinth. And, and it tells us some things that led up to him getting to Corinth. He had been in four cities and he faced a lot of hardship in those four cities. In Philippi, when he was there, they arrested him, put him in a jail cell. And while he, oh, there he was after he had been beaten and, and, and placed in that jail cell, he, he was able to win the soldier to the Lord, but he was run out of town. And as he, ran, as he was run out of town, he went into Thessalonica. And when he got to Thessalonica, he, the, once the Jews heard his preaching, the preaching of the cross, they became enraged. And as they became enraged, they began to harass and assault those who had surrendered their lives to Christ. And then when he, got, he left there and went to Berea, and when he, when he got to Berea and started preaching the cross, there were those who received the message. 
But still those Jews in Thessalonica heard about what was going on in Berea and they left Thessalonica to come to Berea to stir up chaos there. And then he leaves Berea and he goes to Athens. Then when he gets to Athens, Paul finds himself among the elite He finds himself in the intellectual capital. He finds himself where there are many philosophers at and they're thinking through everything and and all their teachings. It it comes from wisdom and they're sitting back trying to to cipher out what Paul was actually saying. And I want to assure you that if you listen to the message of the cross, you understand that that's not wisdom of man. It's not wisdom of this world. It's foolishness to man. It's that a man would come and leave heaven, come to the this earth the king of kings and lord of lords and he would die on a cursed cross that is foolishness to man so Paul there understanding the company he would be keeping in Athens he began to speak with the intelligence of them he began to speak with big words and share with them the message in a different way while basically he was mocked. (laughs) Those in Athens, they didn't want to hear that. It just made no sense to them. But there were some, there were some who did believe. But it appears to me that in reading this context, that somewhere between Athens and Corinth, Paul just decided (laughs) by all the experiences he had just had that that I'm not going to preach that way anymore. It appears that as he's actually coming into Corinth, he's filled with, with anxiety. Maybe he's a little nervous. He's a little hesitant. But whatever it is, he's feeling awfully weak. And we see that there in verse 3. He said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. In other words, he, he was filled with anxiety. He was hesitant. He was very anxious about what was about to take place. And you know, I understand that feeling. I I really do. Because I've never walked into a hospital or a nursing home or a hospice house without feeling hesitant, nervous, or, or even anxious. I've never made a visit to a grieving family where I didn't feel hesitant, nervous, or anxious. And at the very time of making these visits, I'm praying, God, help me. I need you to help me. I can't do this. I don't know what to say because there's no words that is going to help this family at this time. So God, I need you to help me. I understand that anxiousness and that nervousness. But you want to know a secret? Every time I'm asked to preach, I'm filled with anxiety. I'm hesitant. As a matter of fact, it doesn't matter what the situation is, whether it's a revival, whether it's a funeral, whether it's an associational event, or whether it's Sunday morning. I'm hesitant. When I'm asked, preacher, will you do mama's funeral? I begin to ask questions. Well, when is it? What time is it? Where is it going to be? I begin to ask, is there anything that you want me to make sure that the people hear from mama? Is there any specific verse that she, that she favored and that she loved that you want the people to hear? I have to ask these questions, not just for knowledge, but so that 
I will calm down. I'll calm down and get myself in where I need to be so that I can answer the people and, and minister to them. It's just who I am. I, I, I get like Paul was probably getting when he was going into Corinth. We have those feelings until something takes place. And that's when we trust God and he comes and he calms us. <laughs> and he gives us the opportunity to answer. It appears here that Paul was determined in this visit. That in looking back at his previous visits. That he was not going to try to persuade people to believe his words. It seems that Paul began to think back at, on those who did surrender their lives to Christ. Maybe he realized that if he just obeyed the Spirit of God, if he just shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the Spirit of God would demonstrate his power and deliver them from their sin and into the marvelous light of Christ. Just maybe Paul began to understand that the same grace that was sufficient to save him was sufficient enough to save others. You know what is clear is that Paul seemed to have figured out what John the Baptist figured out when he said in John 3 and 20 or John 3 and 30 that he must increase but I must decrease. Paul, in other words, Paul, it seems he figured out that he had to just get out of the way. He, he had to preach the gospel and let God do the rest. Only the Holy Spirit can convict hearts only the, of their sins. Only the Holy Spirit can convince hearts of their need of a Savior. Only the Holy Spirit can change or convert a sinner into a saint. In other words, people have said it like this. Only Jesus Christ can take a cold black heart, paint it red with blood, and make it white as snow. You can't do that. I can't do that. No preacher can do that. Only the Holy Holy Spirit of God, his power in preaching Jesus Christ can change a life. And we can trust, we can trust the word of God. And the Bible tells us in Romans 1 and 16, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is one of his last letters he wrote. Probably wasn't the last, but one of the last. Paul had an earning or yearning to get to Rome. And in his letter to them, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he told them why he's not. He said, because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who would believe. The Jew first and even the Greek. In other words, Paul was saying, I got nothing to tell you that has power other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's got enough power in it to change your life. There's no power in preaching with enticing words. There's no power in preaching in human wisdom. But there is power in preaching through the spirit of God. Saving faith cannot be found in wisdom of men it is only found in the power of God and when saving faith is found in the power of God guess what God is glorified 
not man. Man's not lifted up. Man decreases. And Christ is lifted high. He is magnified. Church, it's not, it's my intent to come to you with the testimony of God. I come declaring Christ and him crucified. I don't seek to preach with persuasive words or worldly wisdom. If I did, I'd be in a mess because I don't have it. I'm a country boy from Union Chapel. You've heard my dialect. You've heard my tone. You've heard how I speak for the last 16 years. It doesn't matter how much education I get. I'm a sound the way I sound. I can improve my vocabulary. But it wouldn't do me no good. Because <laughs> I'd still sound like a hick. I don't come with enticing words. I seek to preach through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Because I know nothing else. Unsaved. What I know is this. Jesus left the splendor of heaven. He came to earth to dwell among men. He came to reveal his heavenly father to us. And to provide a way that we could have an eternal relationship with God. He did this by dying on a cross. And dying on the cross he provided forgiveness of our sins. Without forgiveness, folks, we can't stand before a holy God. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's speaking there of those who refuse to bow and confess here on earth. And the reason is, if you stand before God in your sin, you'll find yourself fallen to your knees because you can't stand to look upon his holiness. But dying on the cross, it gives us forgiveness. But that's just part of the plan. Though... They took him off the cross and placed him in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he arose, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And by this, now death has no sting. Death is no more an enemy to us. I don't know where you stand today. I was in a funeral yesterday. I'll be at a funeral today. But I want to share with you, when my funeral comes, you can rest assured that death was my friend. Because it took me out of this sin-cursed world into the presence of a holy God. Death is no more an enemy to the saved, but he's a friend of those of us who believe on Jesus Christ. For the believer, death has no sting. The grave has no victory. For our victory <laughs> is that when we're absent in this body, we're present with the Lord. Are you ready? As the church begins to pray for you who are lost, are you ready today? 
Are you ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe he is the Son of God? Do you believe he died for your sin and arose to give you victory? If you do, will you receive him today? Will today be the day that you make him your Lord and your Savior? I don't have flashy words. If you're looking for something to just fall out of the sky, pierce your heart, it doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit of God, I believe right now, is speaking to someone. He's tugging at your heart's door. And he's bidding you to come. If right now, just the thought that you need to be saved has entered your mind, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Would you obey him? Would you trust him and give your life to him? You may say, preacher, the Holy Spirit has left me. I couldn't tell you the last time I felt his presence. <laughs> the Bible declares that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You may not feel that overwhelming presence. But if you can know that you need a Savior, <laughs> Jesus is speaking to you. You won't know that on your own. Oh, you're wrong, preacher. I've been in church all my life. I've, I've known this all my life. Well, all your life, Jesus is speaking to you. And if you leave this world without him, He's justified. He's justified. But would you today lay down whatever it is that's holding you back from him and trust him. He died for you. He arose for you. And he's standing ready to come and receive you unto himself. Would you, would you do what only you have to do? Trust, believe, and confess.